Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Ohio's 2022 legislative session is now underway. State Representative John Cross discusses the continuing battle over redistricting and his priorities for the coming year. Also this morning, as we approach the 49th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, pro-choice advocates are mobilizing for what they expect will be the most consequential year for abortion rights since that landmark and controversial decision given the current makeup of the Supreme Court. And after being forced to go virtual last year, the University of Findlay's 21st annual Comedy Jam returns in a big way with perhaps their best lineup ever. We'll get a preview. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, January 20th, 2022. So as you're just getting up this morning, is just waking up a couple of uh, interesting stories here to uh, lead us off this morning uh, that I thought, you know, perfectly timely for, you know, to start your day. Um, I This apparently is a trend uh, among younger generations. I don't get it myself, but I know that there are a lot of younger couples that don't share a bedroom. Uh, you know, young married couples that sleep in separate bedrooms. And uh, I, apparently this is a trendy thing. It's not indicative of uh, problems in a marriage, but this is a couple that has taken this to an extreme. Uh, Rich Roll is a podcaster who, who says he lives in a home in California with his wife of nearly 20 years. It's a 20-year marriage, very successful marriage. Uh, but he and his wife, Julie... Also, uh, not only sleep in separate rooms, he doesn't even sleep in the house. He says he's been sleeping in a tent outside of his home, a tent in his backyard for about two years. In a YouTube video, he explains that the uh, setup allows him to sleep better, also lets him connect with nature and support a stoic practice. He said his marriage is all good. It is has nothing to do with uh, issues in his marriage. The couple decided it was a good idea after realizing they prefer different uh, sleeping conditions. Uh, he like he likes it uh, he likes it cooler than she does, and uh, he realized that he always felt better after sleeping outdoors, and so that's what he does now. I don't know. It's weird to me. It's not traditional, but I guess, hey, whatever works for you. A uh, similar, uh, similar story uh, res- with respect to sleep. You heard about this. Google has backtracked on its white noise uh, controversy. I don't know if you've heard about this. A lot of folks need to sleep with white noise on in the background. And uh, if you have a Google smart speaker... Uh, you can tell it to play white noise as you sleep and it'll continuously play this. Well, apparently, uh, back a few weeks ago, they introduced a new white noise sound and users weren't having it, weren't having any of it. We're not having it. Um, people were uh, complaining online about the new white noise that uh, Google Assistant devices were using to try and lull users to sleep. The uh, new sound was more muted 
than the white noise in the past. And it was on a 10-minute loop instead of an hour-long loop, which also irritated some people. Uh, One user uh, wrote to Google tech support. I thought my... I had clogged ears or something because it was more muffled, more muted. And um, one parent complained that her toddler had noticed the sound change and no longer could sleep through the night. And uh, after fielding all of the complaints, Google has gone back to the original white noise sound. A message posted, the online giant said, thanks for your feedback. There was an issue impacting our white noise experience. It is fixed now and working as it previously did, which is Google's way of saying we messed up and we went back to the original. So it's just another example. The cover, the you know, the cover is no never as good as the original. You know what I mean? The the sequel or the the remake is never as good as the original. Here's another example of that, I guess. Some of the uh, other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. Have you been following this story about uh, 5G and the airlines? This uh, came to a head yesterday. Apparently, uh, Verizon and AT&T were all set to throw the switch on their wideband 5G experience nationwide. And they decided to hold off again on deploying 5G uh, around airports. Um, But I I guess that wasn't enough. A number of international flights into the U.S. never arrived yesterday. British Airways, Emirates, Air India, Japan Airlines, and Lufthansa all announced flight changes over concerns about this 5G cell phone service and the impact it could have on airplane technology. The issue is the radar-based altimeter that tells pilots how far off the ground their plane is as they come in for a landing. And if you are landing in anything less than ideal conditions, where you're relying, the more you rely on your instruments, the more critical it is, obviously, that those instruments function. It's always critical, but especially in uh, while landing in adverse conditions. And there was concern that the 5G signals would interfere with the radar signals because the frequencies that they operate on are very, very close. And so it might. uh, And here's what I don't get. Didn't anybody think about this? I mean, 5G didn't just come up out of the blue. You know, it it wasn't something they dreamed up yesterday and just launched today. This has been in the works for years and years and years. Didn't anybody stop to think? And it's not like they didn't know that the frequencies were close to the radar altimeters on airplanes uh didn't anybody check this out and and that's the other thing is i mean all of this concern over air airline safety is certainly understandable but do they know for sure i i don't know if if there have been any any instances of this causing a problem or whether they've tested it in a lab or they've run simulations on computers or whether they just think it might be an issue And this would be something you'd want to test out, I would think. So anyway, it's a real mess. Uh, Some carriers, including Air France, say, while they haven't made any uh, changes yet in their flight schedules, they are keeping a close eye on the situation. Other airlines, uh, 
international airlines uh, say that they are not going to fly into the United States at all until this is resolved. Uh, so, I mean, they're being very cautious about this, and it is disrupting flights. And domestic flights have been impacted as well, or uh, could potentially be impacted. This is a real mess. So, a story worth uh, worth following, especially if you have any travel plans anytime soon. Uh, and here are a couple of uh, interesting stories among the first things you need to know, the most buzzworthy stories of the day. New research out of the University of Ottawa in Canada finds that when it comes to facing a tough situation, the old adage of fake it till you make it might not be the best advice. Researchers found participants who kept a poker face or put on a brave smile while facing negative situations uh, had... Zero effect on their self-reported mood, uh, physiology, or memory. Ultimately, some emotion, they say, ultimately, some emotion regulating techniques worked better in specific situations than others. Uh, One of the authors of the study said researchers need to focus more on how people choose which strategies they use in which types of situations. For example, It might cause problems in a relationship if you are frequently hiding your feelings from your partner, the old fake it till you make it strategy. But it might also cause problems in the workplace if you never hide your feelings. So sometimes you do want to fake it till you make it, Uh, especially if you have a disagreement with your boss in an important meeting, for example, with a board of directors. You don't want to lose your cool in that situation. So uh, no strategy, they say, is universally helpful or harmful instead it's probably better to be flexible about which strategy you use depending on the context when to smile and grit your teeth grin and bear it fake it till you make it and when to let it go not hold back so something kind of interesting i guess and how about this uh it is Worth being optimistic about aging, according to researchers at Oregon State University. They say you should not be concerned about getting older. And I know this is a lot of this is a very sensitive subject for a lot of folks. They're getting older and uh, they just don't want to face it. Uh, Aging is a state of mind and all of that. It is worth being optimistic about aging. Researchers, Oregon State, found that older adults with a dim outlook on aging tended to report more physical health symptoms on days when they were stressed than on less stressful days. By contrast, those who had more of a golden years perspective on aging seemed to have some protection against daily stresses and actually reported fewer health problems even on days where they felt more stressed than usual. This echoes previous findings that show when people habitually feel stressed out, they may eat poorly, skip exercise, and have long-term consequences like high blood pressure and increased risk of heart disease. So, don't sweat it, is the moral of the story, getting older. That's one of those, it's a natural thing. Everybody goes through it. Embrace it. And uh, embrace that old adage of you're only as young, or you're only as old as you feel you are. Anyway, just something I thought worth sharing to start your day.
There you go. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Sunny and cold today with a high only reaching the low 20s. Just a few clouds tonight, a low of 9. The cause of the fire that destroyed a building that housed two businesses and apartments in North Baltimore has been ruled undetermined. That was the ruling by the Office of the Ohio State Fire Marshal. The damages have been placed at $600,000. Destroyed in the fire were McAnally's Pizza, a laundromat, and an apartment. An art studio was also damaged. A GoFundMe has been established to help the people whose apartment was destroyed in the fire, and one has also been set up to help the owner of the art studio that was damaged. We have a link to both on our website. The Ohio Redistricting Commission is working to redraw boundaries for the state's legislative districts after the original map was rejected by the Ohio Supreme Court. We talked to Ohio State Professor Paul Beck about what to expect this time around. One would hope that the new map is going to create more bipartisanship than had been true before. Give less weight to the extreme factions within the Republican Party. The original map would have favored Republicans to win at least 12 of Ohio's 15 congressional seats. I'm Yolanda Harris. Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague of Findlay says his office's Star Ohio program has once again received Standard & Poor's highest rating. Star stands for State Treasury Asset Reserve. Sprague says for nearly three decades, Star Ohio has been a trusted option for local governments to invest and safeguard public dollars. The program is an investment pool that allows government subdivisions from municipalities to school districts to invest in high-grade short-term securities. Get more on the program on our website. Cleveland will be hosting the NBA's All-Star Game on February 20th. A month until Cleveland hosts the NBA All-Star Game, and it's more than just the game. It's an All-Star Weekend. The two main events, which is All-Star Saturday night, and then, of course, the All-Star Game, which happens on Sunday night at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, those are really almost invite only. Now let's talk about hotels. The NBA controls 30,000 rooms the week of the game. That's Lydia Aspara with ONN affiliate WKYC-TV in Cleveland reporting. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. And now our cover story this morning. Ohio's 2022 legislative session got underway yesterday. State Representative John Cross is with us this morning to kind of look ahead to the coming year. Ms. Cross, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. First of all, want to start out uh, and talk a little bit about uh, the, the lingering issue as the new legislative session uh, gets underway. This is something that we thought uh, had been settled and turns out uh, it is not. The courts uh, have uh, instructed uh, officials to go back and redraw the legislative districts. Where does that stand, and what was your reaction to that decision? Yeah, good morning, Chris. It's nice to be with you. Um, and I, um, I'm i glad you're bringing redistricting up. It's very important to the constituents of the 83rd District and Hancock County and the whole Northwest Ohio region, quite frankly, all the state. It, it's, it's a little uh, disruptive right now because I don't know which district I will potentially be representing. I mean... Right now, I'm in the second half of the 134th General Assembly. So I still am proudly representing the 83rd District, which is all of Hancock County, Hardin County, and the three northern townships of, of Logan County. Mm-hmm. But my new district, 
that the court under the uh, old map that just got voted down would have put me into a new district of Hardin, Logan, and Champaign County, creating a new district for the residents of Hancock County. First, it, it's only this process is only confusing the voters. Um, I really believe, number one, that we need a 10-year map because constituents are not going to know who their, their, their local representatives are when right. they're changing the maps every four years. Number right. two... I'm a little disheartened by the Supreme Court decision because I think it's politics uh, at, at, the, at, the, at the court level. Uh, the three dissenting judges on the Republican side noted that in their opinion. Um, you, we can't be legislating and playing politics from the bench. I think that's happening. However, but then, uh, we, but- we, we got we to get a map done, and, and we've got primary elections coming up, filing day on February 3rd. Uh, quite frankly, Chris, my honest opinion to you and the listeners, give me a district, draw the lines, and let me know who I'm representing, because I don't care if it's Hancock County right. or Hardin County, I'm going to do my very best for whoever I represent, the 120,000 people. Well, and I think you could probably say the same for every member of the state legislature. Absolutely. Um, but Absolutely. but you bring up, you know, the, the whole question of politics and how this enters into uh, into it. Uh, yeah. The the critics of the uh, maps say that uh, that there was politics in in drawing the maps and in. You know, obviously, the the way the system was set up was supposed to remove politics uh, from the whole oh. <laughs> thing, but it just demonstrates the fact that that's almost impossible. There's, there's politics in COVID. I mean, there's politics no matter right. what you do, Chris. If there's, you can't take politics out of politics. So <laughs> let's let's be honest with ourselves. Fair, there's always going to be a political slant. So yeah. you know, and I and I, it's two sides of the street. I could sit here and say, you know, why why is uh, Eric Holder and the Obama administration interested in redistricting lines you could probably say the same thing about republicans there's politics in this no matter what however at the end of the day we know that there's a certain amount of population in ohio we know that uh ohio is a red state donald trump won ohio by eight points we have republican elected officials at the statewide level we have 64 members of republicans in the ohio house I'm not sure the court can try to force us to take ten seats out of the Ohio House and say that they got to they either got to flip or you got to get them more competitive. Let let the market decide, right? Let 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 the voters decide. Try to keep the communities consistent the best you can. Again, and let the let this thing roll. I, again, I think uh, you you probably find just about everybody agrees with that general statement. But like everything yep. else, the devil's in the details. Let me just one more one final point on on sure. redistricting before we uh, move out. From what I understand and what I am I'm hearing is that specifically the uh, problematic part of the existing map was more uh, toward the eastern part of the state, maybe the Cleveland area. How likely yeah. is it that that your district and some of those in our area will get redrawn, or will it just be a, a redraw of certain parts of that? I mean, what are you hearing with respect to that? Well, well, certainly looking at some of the urban areas where they want to want, want to address that, I think your comments are spot on. However, if I'm going to date myself, uh, it, it, this is a game of Tetris. So the moment you start shifting a district, it's going to have a cause and effect uh, down the line and across the map. So, so who knows? I, I might be coming back to Hancock County and representing Hancock County. Maybe they put me back in the old district, which is Hancock and Harden. Mm-hmm. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. I, I would love that. 
I love representing Finley and Hancock County. I, I, I love the community. I love this region. Uh, but, you know, you look at our side of the state, though, uh, Derek Marin's legislative district, man, that's really uh, goofy. It's Toledo slicing down Wood County and taking the five uh, northern townships of Hancock County and splitting Hancock County in half. Quite right. frankly, I, I hate to see that. I, I would rather see Hancock County remain whole. So even on a district like that, on our side of the state, yeah, that might that might get looked at as it's close to the Toledo market, and maybe that changes things. Uh, yeah. Wood County certainly is, uh, has caused a lot of effect because of the population growth of Wood County. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I would tell the voters and the listeners, hang on tight. Let's see what the maps come out. Let's see if we can get a a map that everyone can somewhat agree to, and the courts can bless. We move this primary election forward, and and most importantly, well, constituents know who the representatives are and who they will be moving forward. Because as you yeah, pointed out, right. the filing deadline is rapidly approaching, so you, you yeah, don't want to end right. up. <laughs> you want to file in the right district, obviously. That's With right. respect to that, moving uh, ahead uh, to. You know, again, the legislative session just got underway uh, yesterday. You've got a lot on your plate, as do many of your colleagues, uh, you know, looking at uh, at reelection campaigning and what may be a new district, along with, uh, uh, you know, all of the legislative priorities for the coming year. What uh, what is at the top of your to do list heading into this year of the state legislature? Well, thanks, Chris, for bringing that up. First, I'm I'm proud to do to do two things as a, as, a, as a representative for the area. One, to be very accessible, and number two, to be accountable. And on the accountability side, it's delivering on results. So right now I've, I've authored 14 bills, of which five have passed last year. Everything from ACT and school report cards, commercial truck uh, trailer registration. Oh, by the way, January, Radon Awareness Month, have your basements checked for radon. We passed that bill. Uh, venture capital and the Business Fairness Act, so all businesses can stay open uh, regardless of a pandemic. All businesses are essential. We passed all those pieces of legislation signed by the governor. Looking ahead, after we get past redistricting, I think we have to come back and finish constitutional carry and get that passed because the Senate uh, recently passed it, made some changes. Uh, and then looking ahead, I-, I hope that we can continue to focus on uh, some good policies to make sure that we're keeping uh, helping our workforce helping grow our population. I know I have the GROW Ohio Act, which stands for graduating uh, our workforce uh, here in Ohio and, and keeping them here in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so there's, there's going to be some, I think, uh, there's limited session days. Uh, there's going to be some priority bills we want to tackle uh, in the 2022 year, but also capital budget. We, we potentially have a capital budget. And as you know, in the last capital budget, we got some substantial money to help uh, address the Finley flooding area. We mm-hmm. got some money to help with 50 North and the YMCA. So we're going to look for more community projects to help uh, capital budget to help fund some important community projects here in Hancock County in the 83rd district. So, so, so looking ahead, I think we have like a total of 17 session days this year. It doesn't sound like a lot. It is not a lot, but we do our, we also have election year. And uh, so there'll be some, times in April, May, and the, and the fall that we'll be focusing on, on uh, the campaigns. But I've got, you know, seven other bills I'm working on. You know, the Clean Water Act we talked about, making sure that cities are not dumping wastewater in Lake Erie. Um, I've got a number of other bills I'm working on. I try to take on legislation. I think it's really important. 
for our district and our region, and uh, I got a lot of work left to do a certain amount of time to get it done. And by the way, uh, just so uh, folks know, because sometimes this can be confusing, because you are still in the same legislative session, the uh, bills you were working on at the tail end of 2021, you don't have to go back and start over in 2022. That's right. We're still on the clock, and I got till December 31st to get as much legislation done as I can. And quite frankly, it's, it's sometimes it's not about just passing bills to pass a bill. Half the time is making sure that we're, we're either playing defense on bad legislation or cutting back uh, a lot of regulations well, and, and mandates that we don't need. I mean, you see the Ohio Revised Code, I can stack that puppy on many books t- tall. It used to be one book, right, back in the day. But now it's many books, and there's a lot of laws on the books, and it certainly would make life a little easier on schools, businesses, well, industry. With- cut some of that out with respect to that let me uh, ask you this in the time that we have left and not not a whole lot here but i sure. uh, what are there uh, pieces of legislation out there that you are particularly concerned about that you will be actively uh, looking to change or uh, kill uh, that are yeah. uh, floating out there well i i mean there's you know the the good news is the republicans control the house and and, uh, and the senate and uh, so there's there's not too much wild legislation out there that we get too concerned about getting rammed through like they do in Congress. But but I, we're going to be looking at specific bills, and I, I don't have any examples off the top of my head, but, but anything that I think is going to be controversial for our district or not good for our district. I mean, here's a good example. Here's a bill I want to kill. I'll tell you right now. Uh, I, I've got a, a, a Democrat uh, who wants to stop the permitting of agricultural uh, uh, barns being developed in Northwest Ohio because of the manure runoff issue. Well, that's just ludicrous. Uh, that once again, we've got big city uh, Democrats attacking our farmers. You, you, you bet you I'm going to be killing that bill. And uh, because once again, it's, a, it's an attack on our farmers. It's an attack on agriculture. And that's a perfect example of, of, of why my constituents send me down to Columbus uh, to champion them. And, and sometimes, you know, every now and then we've got to kill a bill because it's, it's bad for our district. Again, uh, State Representative John Cross with us talking about his uh, legislative priorities for the coming year in terms of both advocating for and against a certain legislation. And uh, Ms. Cross, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Well, Saturday will mark the 49th anniversary of the Supreme Court's historic Roe v. Wade decision legalizing abortion on demand in all 50 states. Almost half a century later, opponents of that decision are hopeful and proponents are fearful that precedent may be on shaky ground with the decision pending in a key case that was argued before the current court recently. Kimberly Inez McGuire is the executive director of URGE, which stands for Unite for Reproductive and Gender Equity. So you can guess which side of the argument she represents. Kimberly, as we come up on this anniversary, what do you see as the historical significance of Roe v. Wade beyond the obvious? I think the historical significance of Roe v. Wade was affirming that abortion is a basic right, that it should be legal, um, and at the time was a response to, you know, really a nationwide outcry by people who were not able to get abortion care or not able to get safe abortion care. So I think the significance is, you know, at the time it was seen as 
um, you know, this really important step forward to secure basic rights. You know, here we are almost 50 years later, and while abortion remains legal, it's gotten harder and harder to access. And, you know, with the Supreme Court poised to strike down Roe, it may get even harder. But this is not just any medical procedure. This comes down to the basic question of the sanctity of human life and the point at which that life begins. Is it really fair to equate those sincerely held beliefs to a deliberate effort to oppress women as this has been framed? Because no pro-lifer I know holds the view that women should be barefoot and pregnant or that they don't have the right to control their own reproductive rights, just not in this way. I think for me, what this comes down to is whether or not someone who is pregnant is able to decide their future. You know, as someone who just a couple of months ago, I became a mom for the first time. You know, I carried my baby for 10 months. I gave birth to her and uh, haven't slept a wink since. Um, And even though I chose that, you know, it's been incredibly difficult. And I just can't imagine forcing another person to go through that who's decided that they're not ready or that it's not the right time for them. And, you know, where I, where I do agree with um, some of what you said is that I think there's a lot of people who, you know, their belief is that they just don't think abortion is the right choice for them. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. I mean, we all, you know, can have different and even complicated views about abortion. What we are advocating for, though, is that whatever your personal views, whether or not it's right for you, that this remains legal and accessible for those who do decide that it's what's right. Does that include legalized late-term abortion on demand? Because even for many people who support the principle of legalized abortion, that's a bridge too far. You know, I think it's uh, dangerous to get into trying to pick and choose, you know, whose decision to have an abortion are we going to allow and whose are we going to block, right? Because it starts to feel like, you know, wow, actually, you know what, this, this isn't my decision. Um, something that I do think is important to mention, though, is a lot of the restrictions on abortion that have been passed actually force people to get care later than they would like. So right now, there are people who would like to get an abortion today who, because of state restrictions, are forced to delay their care days or even weeks. So if we can all agree that people should get care when they need it, we wouldn't have all these restrictions that actually force people later into pregnancy. Okay, so that actually kind of leads into the the question legislatively. Again, we come up and we talk about the uh, positions historically on the Roe v. Wade anniversary that is coming up. As we mentioned, given the makeup of this current court, both sides of this debate see this as the closest we have been in the past 49 years to a reversal of Roe v. Wade. What happens if that happens? So I have no doubt in my mind that this is going to be the most consequential year for abortion access in my lifetime. And if the Supreme Court strikes down Roe v. Wade or severely guts it, which frankly I expect they will, we're looking at half of the country having no access to abortion. And so it means that the people who live in most of the South and most of the Midwest, across you know, huge swaths of this country, um, Get those folks get pregnant and need an abortion, they're going to either have to leave the state if they can, 
right? And that assumes a lot, right? It assumes somebody has a car. It assumes they can get paid sick time off work. It assumes they can get child care, right? Um, or if they can't leave the state, that person may be forced to become a parent against their will. Many have used the argument, and you kind of touched on this and alluded to this, but I want to speak more specifically to it. Many have used the argument that overturning Roe does not mean that abortion will be outlawed. It simply turns that decision over to the states. Why is that not good enough? We have a long history in this country of upholding basic rights as something that actually states shouldn't get to, to decide on, right? That's why we have a federal constitution that says, you know, states can decide a lot of different things, but what states can't do is take away these fundamental rights. And so I don't think it's, it's um, enough to just leave the issue to the states because unfortunately where we are um, is that half of the country would be left without basic necessary and often life-saving health care. And what are you doing to mobilize individuals on your side as we are in this sort of period of limbo, if you will, waiting for this decision to come later in the year? Absolutely. So we are taking action, mobilizing young people, particularly in the South and the Midwest, where we know abortion is under greatest threat. And those young people are going um, in the next couple of weeks to their state legislatures to say, even if Rome falls, abortion must remain legal in our state. They're having bold conversations about abortion access online. They're creating zines and arts and, you know, all sorts of ways to educate, inform, and, you know, have conversations about abortion. They're also engaging um, in civic participation. So these same young people are going to be voting this year and I think have lots of opportunities let decision makers know how they feel, um, particularly if their rights are being assisted. Speaking of the legislative uh, aspect of all of this, there has been talk of codifying the precedent of Roe v. Wade in federal law. Do you hold out any hope that that can happen given the current makeup of Congress? Well, you know, it's, simple. it's, it's, it's uh, tricky these days to, to get much past Congress, and, you know, that's due in large part to things like the filibuster that, you know, prevent us from taking action on important priorities. Um, you know, we've seen some exciting progress with the Women's Health Protection Act, which is a law that would create important protections for abortion access. Um, but what we really need is something so much bigger and more comprehensive, because Roe v. Wade itself was never. What we need is a full comprehensive um, vision that allows each of us to make decisions about pregnancy, about abortion, to get the care we need, whether that's birth control, prenatal care, or abortion care. So to me, you know, Roe was never enough, and what we need um, is a lot more, I think, than we've ever uh, even so far tried to put into law. Um, but the good news is young people are real creative and they're creating new solutions every day. And I think a young people's vision for abortion access is going to be um, new and comprehensive and really take us in a new direction. We will leave it there again. Kimberly Inez McGuire is the executive director of Urge, Unite for Reproductive and Gender Equity, with the upcoming 49th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision. Kimberly, where do folks learn more about your positions and your um, uh, advocacy uh, on this issue? 
Absolutely. So I would urge folks to go to urge.org to learn more about our organization. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at urge underscore org. And if you'd like to learn more about this conversation and actually hear from young people who are fighting against abortion restrictions, come to our Row Roundtable. And you can RSVP for that at bit.ly slash row roundtable. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-O-E roundtable. Thank you so much. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, of course, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Where to start this morning? Where to start? I'm so disorganized here. A Utah man faces several charges after police say he was intoxicated when he drove his car through a golf course. Those are usually meant for golf carts, not full-size motorized vehicles. Records show the 18-year-old plowed through a Salt Lake City area course and then crashed through a fence to drive away. Officers eventually caught up to the suspect and arrested him after he crashed into a canal. He later admitted to police that he had been partaking of a number of intoxicating substances. A 48-year-old Missouri woman was arrested in suburban St. Louis after police reportedly found her with uh, drugs, including some hidden in her private parts. In addition to methamphetamine, uh, apparently hidden in her nether regions, uh, the woman also uh, had had hidden a glass smoking pipe there. As well, that would be very, very dangerous. I mean, that's that's very dangerous. <laughs> uh, police say they originally pulled over the woman because she didn't have her headlights on at while she was driving at night, and uh, that's when they discovered something more was going on. Detective Lieutenant Jason Valentine says several other bags of meth were found in her car. Why she chose to hide only one of those and hide it there? Not sure, but uh, she was booked into the uh, suburban, uh, the Arnold, Missouri uh, Police Department, uh, suburban St. Louis, uh, pending uh, application for a warrant. She's in trouble. Uh, Let's see. I don't know. Just weird stuff. Um, Houston, Texas. You know how sometimes you'll find a pet go missing? Usually it's a dog. Sometimes a cat will go missing. This time, it was a hermit crab. (laughs) The U family in Houston, Texas, says their two children built an outdoor enclosure for their three hermit crabs just outside of their home. But two of the animals escaped back in October. They searched high and low for the crabs, but couldn't find them. This month, a neighbor spotted something strange on the sidewalk in the neighborhood realized it was a hermit crab and brought it home to put it in the enclosure that her kids have for her own hermit crabs. She later posted on Facebook asking if anyone was missing a hermit crab and soon got a reply from the U family. And now the hermit crab is back at its original home. They uh, hold out hope that the second missing crab will somehow make its way home as well. 
It was it was just down the block. It escaped in October. Just made it down the block. That's they're not really uh, particularly fast <laughs> creatures. <laughs> uh, speaking of animals, animal stories in the broken news. Um, <laughs> in England, the Royal Society for the Prevention Cruelty to Animals is revealing some of the funniest calls that they got over the course of the past year, and one involved being called in to help rescue a swan tangled in an electric fence after the River Stout burst its banks in Dorset last year. A passing driver had called it in, saying there's a swan tangled in the electric fence. Animal rescuers rushed out, uh, but when they arrived, they found it was actually just a white plastic lawn chair floating in the water. <laughs> wasn't wasn't a swan at all, just a white plastic lawn chair. The, all's well that ends well. Doesn't say whether they rescued the lawn chair or not, but... Uh, <laughs> and uh, finally, in the uh, broken news this morning... Imagine minding your own business, going about your day, and then suddenly you get a notification on your phone that Batman's nemesis, the Joker, is on the loose. It actually happened to members of uh, the public in Missouri. Uh, Tuesday, residents received an emergency alert warning citizens of Gotham City to be on the lookout for a purple and green 1978 Dodge 3700 GT. With the license plate number, you kid me. <laughs> Happens to be a description that matches the vehicle used by Jack Nicholson as the Joker in the 1989 film Batman. <laughs> the Missouri State Highway Patrol later clarified the tweet or clarified the message in a tweet saying it was meant to be a test message and there was no alert. Don't have to worry. The Joker is not on the loose in Missouri. Uh, their uh, statement said today, a routine test of Missouri's blue alert system was inadvertently sent to wireless devices statewide. The patrol regularly tests the system to ensure it works properly when needed. During the test, an option was incorrectly selected, allowing the message to be disseminated to the public. There is no emergency alert at this time. <laughs> See, and this is the problem. I mean, you know, if you're if you're not careful about this, you cry wolf. When the Joker is actually on the loose, nobody will believe it. I mean, that's the problem that you run into. Is that now when the Joker actually does get out there, uh, people will uh, will not know. Anyway, there you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. 
and now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Do you have the next big business idea, that golden ticket to fame and fortune? More than half of Americans say they do believe they have a business idea that would uh, wow the investors on Shark Tank. Survey of 2,000 adults studying the increasing shift toward entrepreneurship in this country found that 59% have considered quitting their current job to launch their own business. Looking to take more control of their future, 48% admit that they feel unmotivated in their current job. Three in four are constantly looking for ways to feel more inspired by what they do every day. Three in five Americans are ahead of the game by having a side hustle or putting serious thought into launching one. This survey was conducted by one poll ahead of Amplify 2022, a virtual summit for digital entrepreneurs, reveals some unique insights on people's self-confidence when launching a business. It finds that two-thirds of respondents believe that they would be successful entrepreneurs, but when asked what keeps them from taking the leap, 32% Say it's their fear of failure, 37% say they lack the financial means. It's not that they don't have a great idea. It comes down to money and, of course, overcoming those fears, as so many things do. You know, when I grew up in Canada, I thought bronze was the highest medal that you could get in the Olympics. I'm serious. Yeah. You know... (laughs) (laughs) Some celebrities are very intimidating. I'm the kind of celebrity where fans eventually say to me, I've got to go. Uh, Very chatty. (laughs) The comedy of Caroline Bray, who's going to be one of the, uh, that's one of the bigger gets for uh, Comedy Jam over the years. 21st annual University of Finley Comedy Jam coming up next weekend. Uh, in person, once again, Sharinda Welton from the University of Findlay is uh, with us this morning. So good to be back in person. Yes, year. it is. We're so excited and we are excited that Caroline will be able to be with us. There is, uh, I, I'm told, uh, a great story behind her and actually... Josh uh, Blue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, all three of them. All three of them. Yeah. Um, I take students to buying conferences each year and then they choose what they think will be best for different programming. One of the things they take all of the shows very seriously Mm -hmm. as they should, it's money. Um, But they, they met Josh back in 2006 when he was showcasing and he was an up and coming comedian. He was hitting the comedy clubs strong Mm -hmm. then. And he uh, was on NBC's last comic standing. Well, we booked him for 2007. He won 2006. And before he was announced winner, his then agent called me and said, uh, we're going to have to cancel Josh. And I go, he won. <laughs> so then great for him. Not great for you. Well, and I went back and I told the students, this is what I'm talking about. You guys have eyes and ears for talent. This, yeah. this is a huge yeah. compliment to you. Yeah. Uh, but you got to find somebody else. <laughs> so all these years later, uh, we were looking at things because. It was we didn't get to go to conferences because of COVID, mm-hmm. and so we went back in the books. And I said, "Hey, here's an amazing guy." They checked him out on YouTube and different things, and they were like, "Yeah, let's book him." So we booked him last February, and then he made it onto America's Got Talent. So then through the summer, we're watching, and we're like, "We want him to win because he's amazing, and he 
set records because it'd be two reality shows. He'd win as a comedian. Yeah. This is so awesome. But then he took third, and we were thrilled that he's coming to Comedy Jam because had he won that, we would have lost him again. Probably lost yeah. him again, yeah. Uh, similar story with uh, Caroline Ray. Yeah. You actually had her uh, on the bill or, or were looking at... We and- met her in St. Louis back uh, again in the early 2000s, and we absolutely loved her. And her schedule just didn't work because she was... And she still is. She's such a busy lady. Yeah. Um, but because of our timing and with her shooting schedule, it worked this time because we were That's looking awesome. at the third third, third Saturday mm-hmm. in January when we pitched years ago. Yeah. And again, it's just timing. And then um, Greg Thompson, the Southern humorist, he we've tried multiple years and multiple times his schedule hasn't worked out. So it was meant to be. Everything aligned. <laughs> we've got this amazing so, historical yeah. so, lineup. So one of the best lineups ever. Yeah. Maybe for uh, and for I say that every jam, year, so. but every year we yeah. get a better lineup. This, yeah. this one this, is. This one be is tough huge. to top. This yeah. Thing. This one. This one is We're uh, really excited. Is huge. Uh, so as you mentioned, it's the uh, the kids, the the students. Yeah. Yeah. The university the young adults <laughs> that uh, they would be very upset if I called them kids. Actually, they uh, wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> They're very flexible with that. <laughs> they they actually do all of the legwork on this. They do a ton of the legwork. Yes, they 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 make the decisions on who we're going to pitch the offers to, mm-hmm. and then uh, because of university standards requirements, I have to do the contract negotiations, but they're a part of that. And all the emails, they're carboned in on what they're not able to sign off on. Mm -hmm. So they know everything that's going on. And then they uh, design and work with the creative side of things for promotions. So they make the sandwich boards and they get things out to the community and that kind of thing. And we're very thankful we have an amazing design team at the university through our marketing department that works with them to design the digital boards and the actual posters but it still goes to them for review and approval and all of that so yeah they're in it from the beginning and then they help with the load-in and then they host the artists and they decorate the green rooms and then they clean everything out and they help clean that auditorium when people leave <laughs> and they wave bye-bye and it's them that hand them the checks yes from so, from, from, from everything from sitting behind the desk yeah. to work in the broom uh, that is at correct. the end of the yes. night so yes. it is a uh, well and and we're talking about the student activities board correct um are they the ones that uh, you know the the monies that are raised from this event uh is that where that goes yes if there's any money made (laughs) which (laughs) there's typically not but if there's any money that is made then it comes back to their uh operational budget Mm -hmm. so to offset the cost so comedy jam is i i would guess the biggest event that the student activities board does but not the only one correct they are responsible also for the uh, music box series which is a Friday each month where they host different artists from around the world, literally. Mm-hmm. So it's the, uh, we will have the Asia Project with us in February, which is a spoke award-winning spoken poet, uh, along with an acoustic guitar under him. Uh, so those things are free and open to the community. And then we're bringing in Charles Bear Thoud, uh, in March, and he is from the UK, and he is an amazing electric bassist. So it's it's fun to see what they choose, and when they're choosing for that, they're choosing for what would homeschooler association enjoy, mm-hmm. what would people from retirement communities, and then what would the current 
campus community enjoy that's exposing and expanding music genres mm-hmm. so they, they take a lot of considerations yeah because it's not just for College the students, student uh, population it's for the community like comedy jam it's yes. for the entire it's one community. of the town so. and gown projects that they do that happens throughout the academic year so comedy jam is coming up next, next weekend saturday. next saturday and uh, tickets are available now they are they are 30 dollars right now if you wait until the day of if there's any left, they uh, go up to $35. Uh, people are like, wow, your price has gone up a little. Well, that's everything's still, gone up a little. <laughs> that's still, I mean, you think about it. You're talking about three very Headliners. talented. Yeah, yes. v- three very talented comedians uh, on the uh, same bill for 30 yep. bucks. Uh, I, I think. I, it's it's very comparable. When I go to New York City, I have tons oh, yeah. of friends that work in the clubs there. It's quote free to get in but then you have to pay for drinks <laughs> right even if it's seven up yeah. you're you're spending 45 to 75 dollars to get out right so yeah no this is very fair price. and how cool is it that you're able to host at the marathon center for the performing arts you know we absolutely love that when this started 21 years ago marathon center for the performing arts wasn't here right and what's really cool is comedy jam was the last show in central auditorium And we were the first show that the community sponsored when Marathon opened. So we're very proud of the history we have there. And and working with that team is such an amazing team at Marathon. Well, and that also uh, gives the uh, students, the uh, Student Activities Board, some interface with the professional venue Correct. people, too. Correct. So yes. on that it's end It's all of a win-win situation Absolutely. Uh, so it, tickets are available, actually, at the uh, MCPA yep. uh, website, and uh, we have That's that the linked best up. way to get yeah. them. That is the easy. They will be available at the door if there are any left. And they are going fast. I would imagine so with this lineup. So it is, give us the lineup again. Okay, so our host for the evening will be Greg Thompson, who is a Southern humorist. And then we will have the feature, which will be Josh Blue. And then our headliner is Caroline Ray. Yeah, it's going to be a terrific uh, event, a terrific evening of laughs. And we've got a link up at our webpage at goodmornings.net. If you want to get tickets for that, Sharonda Welton from the University of Findlay. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. It's great seeing you. Thanks for having us. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, we get the pro-life view of the upcoming anniversary of Roe v. Wade and how their side is also mobilizing for what could be an equally historic Supreme Court decision later this year. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.